from the wintry studios of PBS 39 at the PPNL Public Media Center in the always Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another holly jolly hour of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Winterberry is a well-behaved native holly that's so covered with bright red berries in the winter, you often can't see the branches underneath, unless you don't got no berries. On today's show, we'll discuss how and when to prune these priceless plants and reveal what they really need to be very, very good for winter birds and holiday decor. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. Yes, potential guests are busy pondering pruning problems. So we will take lots of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and personally predictable peculiarities. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than the first robin of spring, ditching Batman to work your winter berry. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in the beautiful Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, winterberry might be the holly that produces the most berries of any of those plants, unless it doesn't. But if it doesn't, we can tell you what you need to do to get it to produce those berries that are so pronounced that you often can't see the branches underneath them. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. So send us your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, etc. to 833-727-9588. Stacy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, how are you? I'm just ducky today. Stace, how are you doing? I'm ducky too. Good, good. It must be raining outside then. Where is Stacy ducky? Well, I currently live in Sheltonham, Pennsylvania, but I grew up in Philadelphia. Okay. Well, isn't Sheltonham in Philadelphia? It is not. It is a suburb of Philadelphia. No, but Sheltonham the, Avenue like, runs through Philadelphia. It does. It's the border. Let's go. Okay. So, oh, oh you're one of the people we're, we're building the wall to keep out. Huh? <laughs> oh, no. You people coming across from the suburbs, stealing Philadelphia jobs. Oh, no, I'm born and raised in Philadelphia. Yeah, sure, sure. Let's let's see the papers, Stacey. (laughs) All right, what can we do for Stacey, who claims to have been born in Philadelphia but has no paperwork to support that? (laughs) Um, I wanted to know about growing potatoes. Oh, I love Um, potatoes. I looked online, and there were some suggestions of doing it in a paper bag or in a laundry basket and adding layers to it, but I wanted your advice. What do you got in terms of garden space? Do you have a flat-earth garden? Do you have a raised bed garden? Do you have Well, a- this summer I intend to do a raised bed garden. Mm-hmm. So um, you- I have ample space to do like a couple of um, like four by eight. Okay, good. Well, potatoes grow. How how bad is your soil? How how clay-y is it? Well, um, this will be my first time gardening in this location, um, so I haven't had my soil tested yet. Mm-hmm. Now, are you in? Even though you're you're kind of in uh, the suburbs, are you in an older area with older homes around you? Yes, my home is was built in eighteen sixty. So I hate to say this, but the first thing you want to do is get your soil tested for lead. Okay. Uh, you know, up until the 1970s, all exterior house paint was lead. And a lot mm-hmm. of it got into the soil, so much uh, also from leaded gasoline. So you want to get a lead test. You can get that through your local county extension service. We'll send it to the uh, soil lab at Penn State. It won't be expensive. And it'll tell you what you need to know. If it comes back high, then forget about growing anything in the ground and build your raised beds and try not to disturb the soil. One of the great advantages of raised beds in an urban area is you don't have to mess with your existing soil. You know, you're building essentially big containers on top of it. So the more lead you have in the soil, the more you need to get those uh, raised beds in order to be able to garden safely. And I want to reaffirm that the danger of lead in soil is not contaminated produce. It's contaminated humans 
when you work that soil, when you dig it up, when you play in it, when you plant in it, you get lead uh, in your uh, in your respiratory system. You get it in your skin. So you don't want to mess around with it. Something any any gardener in an urban or developed area needs to know. Okay. So now since. Stacy is going to be very busy building raised beds. And to build raised beds, what I always recommend is you put a, a layer of cardboard down over the entire area you're going to garden and then construct okay. your frames, whether they're wood or stone, and make those four by four, four by eight, leave two feet in between them, fill the frames with a combination of compost, potting soil, and perlite. None of your native soil, we're avoiding that. And okay. then and then go to town. You uh, you'll get great results. So you won't have any weeds. Now there is another way to grow potatoes, that's very popular. And you've kind of got some of the corners of it, but you don't exactly have it right. What okay. you want to do is build or find a box made of wooden slats. Four by four is a great size. You can find those because that's one of the original compost bins. A four by four wooden slatted bin is called a Lehigh bin, uh, developed back in the early 40s at Lehigh University for J.I. Rodale. So what you would do is you would fill the bottom with good quality soil. Again, if your soil tests high in lead, you don't want to be shoveling it back and forth. So, you know, get a load of good topsoil or compost from your local garden center. And then put like, oh, I would say a good foot and a half of soil at the bottom. And then you take your seed potatoes, especially the first time you're doing this, you want to buy certified seed potatoes. Any of the catalogs out there um, has a great selection of growing potatoes, seed potatoes. Probably the best, the high end, is called Wood Prairie Farm. And you'll go nuts. I mean... Yeah, obviously, you know, you can get purple potatoes and Yukon mm -hmm. golds and reds, but they have things like red gold that's red on the outside and gold on the inside. They have um, really wonderful potatoes. And most importantly, they've all been certified disease free because potatoes are the vector for late blight in tomatoes as well. So you want to make sure you're not starting with bad, bad crop. So when you get up. Uh, when you get up to the level, when your dirt's up to the level of the first break in the slats, you know, where there's an opening, mm -hmm. take four of your potatoes and put them right at the edge of the slat, facing with as many of the eyes on the potato facing outward into the world, and put one at, in the center of each slat, then fill your thing up with more, uh, with more soil until you get up two or three more slats, and then there's an opening. And then you do the same thing. You put one potato here, one potato there, one potato there, one potato there, each facing outward with as many eyes facing outward as possible. And then you fill it all the way up to the top. And then for good luck, I would put a potato right down into the center of that buried about six inches deep. Now, see, what's going to happen now is all the greenery, is going to come out of those eyes, and it's going to go outward. So instead of you constantly reburying the greenery, which is a bad idea because you're interrupting photosynthesis every time, you've got these on every level where you've planted, you've got four full-scale potato plants coming out into the open, getting full sun with a lot of soil behind them um, to grow the potatoes in. And the same thing, the next level up, you've got these, uh, you've got these green plants coming out, grabbing all this sunshine. And so at the end of the season, you just wait until the, the green vines wilt a little. Are, are you having a, a samurai fight with someone? No. <laughs> <laughs> are, 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 are we multitasking there? Um, Probably. Probably a little bit. He's boxing up things to sell on eBay. Anyway, <laughs> at the end of the season, when the greenery starts to fade and starts to turn brown, you just lift up the box, and let's say you did what I said and you planted nine potatoes. 
you know, a layer of four, a layer of four, and then nine. Mm-hmm. Um, you should seriously get about 50 pounds of potatoes out of that. Oh, my. And you can That's plant different varieties. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Uh, you can reuse the bin year after year, especially if you didn't see any signs of disease. It's, a, it's actually a great space-saving way to grow potatoes because you're doing what they do in New York City. You're growing up. Mm-hmm. So you're using airspace as well as ground space. And the soil yeah. that you'll have inside this container is going to be much looser. Looser soil leads to more potatoes and bigger potatoes. Okay. Now, uh, in, when I was looking on the Internet, it suggested getting, I guess, like buying your own potatoes like from the market and cutting off areas where there were a lot of eyes and planting it don't do that okay don't do that you could be responsible for reintroducing uh potato blight and uh late blight on tomatoes no every especially when you're getting started invest in good certified disease-free stock Mm -hmm. the potatoes will be much healthier they'll have been inspected you'll have a wider range of varieties this is not the place to go cheap okay so I know there's a temptation to cheap out, to use these things that are available, but especially with potatoes where the, uh, mm-hmm. the circumstances that come out of it can be really dire for many, many gardeners. Do the right okay. thing and buy certified disease-free stock. You won't be sorry. All right. Thank you. My pleasure. Good luck. 1-833-727-9588. Jason, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you very much. Good to be here. It's good to have you here, Jason. And where is here for you? Uh, Springfield, Pennsylvania in Delaware County. Uh, we moved into a house in Springfield a couple of years ago, and we're lucky enough to have a flowering, fruiting set of fruit trees, uh, pears and apples, or uh, one pear, one apple. And uh, last year, did great, had, had wonderful fruit. And this year, they got almost ripe, and the squirrels obliterated the trees uh-huh. um, not a single piece of fruit came off that tree that wasn't eaten by a squirrel um, so it was a really bad year for that and i have no idea where to even start keeping them away from from mine outside of a sign that says no squirrels allowed yeah yeah exactly like the warner brothers cartoons because we know exactly. they can read that now um with your fruit trees do you do anything to care for them do you prune them do you spray them do you thin the fruits uh they were they were a little overgrown when we got the house so the last Two uh, years have done some minor pruning to try and get them back. They'll probably do a little bit more this year. I didn't want to shock them the first year. Right. Um, but outside of that, no spraying, no no fruit trimming, just kind of a yearly prune. Um, there is a product uh, sold to protect fruit trees very specifically called Surround. You can get it from Gardens Alive. I'm pretty sure you can also get it at retail outlets. Uh, but it is a clay spray, micronized clay. Uh, fruit trees, pears are pretty easy to grow. Apples are kind of difficult. Peaches are impossible. And mm-hmm. what the clay spray does is it puts a covering on the leaves, the trunk, and the fruit. And this is a physical barrier against disease spores. And ah. insects don't like it either. So it would probably, it could hopefully confuse the squirrels. Um, it you certainly wouldn't hurt your crop. It certainly wouldn't hurt your results. And it's easy to do. It's non-toxic, yada, yada, all that. Or if you wanted to take a totally different approach, have you ever heard me talk about motion-activated sprinklers? Um, Not particularly. There is a device out there called the Scarecrow, and... What you do is you put a battery in the head, you hook it up to your garden hose, you point it at the area uh, you wish to protect, and nothing happens until something breaks the beam, and then the uh, scattershot on top shoots a bunch of cold water at the enemy. There... Uh, for years and years, I was pretty much the only one you could get. Now there's a new brand out there called Orbit. Um, a friend of mine was showing me his. They seem to be much more effective, a lot more water, a lot more pressure. Um, and the entertainment value of a motion-activated <laughs> sprinkler, especially, you know, 
you set up some cameras, you could you could make some money on YouTube with this. I'm sure. Now, is that something you would point at more the trunk or the the uh, canopy? Like, where would you aim that at? I'm assuming the trunk where they're where they're hitting. Well, you uh, you would uh, you would aim it at the ca- canopy where the fruits are. Okay. Now, um, are they jumping on to the trees from adjacent trees or buildings? Uh, probably not adjacent trees, but we do have a fence uh, that runs from those trees over to uh, like a wood line. So it could be they could be getting in from that way, or even up the trunk from shore. So what I would suggest you also do is down on the trunk. You know those Elizabethan collars they do for dogs. So, yeah. Yeah. Get the biggest one you can find. Get it for a Great Pyrenees. Or maybe you can find one that's made for a tree, or if you're handy, make it. But make a baffle down low so they can't just run up the side of the tree. Okay. Um, And then razor wire on that fence, just like outside (laughs) a prison. Break soda bottles and paste them up there. You know, Electrify it. Right. I think a motion-activated sprinkler is your best bet, but also do a little work to make sure they can't just get into the canopy easily. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, I, I do have a follow-up question about that clay spray because I have noticed uh, rust on my apple and pear tree, and outside of you know raising all of the, the woods near me, um, it's kind of just been something that I'm resigned to and try to aerate the, like keep the, the canopy as open and airy as possible. Would that clay spray also help that? Yes, Yes, and that's okay. all. But keeping the canopy open is also a very good idea. And don't forget, this last year was so wet, there was no way to yeah. avoid disease. So try the clay spray. If, if they're not impressed, um, have a motion-activated sprinkler ready. Um, I mean, it's just, it's more fun than television, man. I'm sure. It sounds great. I'll, call, I'll, I'll sell tickets. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear Thursday and Friday, February 7th and 8th at the Midwestern Urban Garden Show at the Times Square Mall in Mount Vernon, Illinois, halfway between Evansville and St. Louis. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with how to make your Winterberry live up to the second half of its name and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural, organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And we have a really important question of the week coming up for anyone who has any kind of holly in their landscape. The question is specifically about winterberry, which is one of the best native hollies. But the information I reveal will help you have more berries on any kind of holly you happen to have. And that's all coming up after more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Robert, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call today. Well, thank Um, you for making it today, Robert. Where are you, man? I'm in Easton. Easton, Pennsylvania, the hot new spot in the Lehigh Valley. You know, I read an interesting thing in our local paper a couple of times now about this volunteer group who's going around weeding and picking up trash and making, I believe, it's the West End look more attractive? Yes, I think it's the Broom Brigade, if I'm correct on that. That's absolutely correct. I'm thinking of trying to get them on. If they're doing a lot of weeding, you know, that might be something that other cities that are up and coming um, might want to get involved in. Because, you know, it's tough to get rid of a blighted building um, but if the streets are clean and there aren't a lot of weeds around, I think that changes the complexion of a neighborhood tremendously. Oh, yes, most certainly. Most certainly. They're doing a good job out there, that's for sure. Yeah, so hats off to the Broom Brigade of Easton, Pennsylvania. Now, what can we do for Robert? Sure. So I got a, kind of a weird thing. 
So I grow red peppers in the summer, and uh, I got them in pots. I got three different kinds. I have uh, banana peppers, jalapeno, and bell peppers. Um, so what I do is, for most of the part, I take them, and as the season goes, I, I pick them and I put them in a, in a jar of vinegar because um, I make hot sauce in the wintertime. So mm-hmm. as, the season go, as the season goes, I keep putting the peppers in the, in the vinegar and I make my hot sauce, which is about now because the season's over. My question is, some of these peppers, I cut them open so they absorb the vinegar. Some of these peppers have black seeds in them, and the pepper right next to it has what I would consider healthy, uh, healthy seeds that are, you know, they're not black. They're, they're just a little bit of an off-white color. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering, are these... Is this a fungus? Is this something I need to be concerned about? Right now, I'm scraping them out and using the peppers and putting them in the vinegar, but I don't know if that's ruined my whole batch of hot sauce that I'm getting ready to make. I'm kind of worried about it, really. Um, So you're growing a banana pepper, which is kind of hot. You're growing habaneros? Uh, Yes, jalapenos. Jalapenos, which which are pretty hot. And then you're saying you're growing your basic sweet red pepper. Is it truly a bell pepper, one of the big four-lobed ones, like in the supermarket? Yeah, I mean, they look a little off because um, my wife's not eating it, so they don't look exactly as pretty as they do in the um, grocery store. But they're, you know, they look like bell peppers, sweet peppers. They're not that hot at all. Um, no, no, sweet peppers should not be hot, even though it's the same uh, genus. It goes from no heat to, like, ghost pepper death um you would do better in your climate not to grow full-size bell peppers you might be growing the variety california wonder um which is the classic bell pepper but you might notice that winter in easton does not resemble california and and so you can get really sweet red peppers that are differently shaped um, things like Horn of the Bull, a great heirloom sweet red pepper that might look like it's supposed to be hot, but it's an Italian frying pepper, and it's very sweet, and it turns red and ripe in half the time the California Wonder does. So next year, look for the days to maturity, especially on, uh, on sweet peppers. They take a long time to firm up, and then, as you know, they, t- they take a long time to color up. So you might want to buy a more short season seed or plant and, and get more peppers. Now, when you cut the peppers open, um, you're saying some seeds are black, some seeds are not black. Is this inside the same pepper or is it from variety to variety? Well, it's mostly happening in the jalapeno and the bell. I've only seen it really kind of happen, I think, maybe to two of my banana peppers. And they were like almost like a light brown color. Uh-huh. Um, the couple of seeds were, but it's mostly the jalapenos and the, and the bell peppers that I'm noticing that when I cut it open, it's just some of those seeds are, are dark in color. Mm-hmm. And, but and, you um, don't see any kind of fuzziness or anything on them? No, like a fungus or a mold? No, I'm not. It's okay. just, it's just uh, the seeds look kind of normal, just, okay. just discolored. Are you, yeah. yeah, are you planning to save the seed? No, what I've been doing is I've been taking the seeds out. I've right. been taking them out, and I, I don't know if that'll... Um, you know, no, no. What I meant was, did you have any plan to save the seed and grow the same peppers out again? No, that's not my plan right now. Oh, okay. Well, then the first thing is, well, then don't worry about it. It's not an issue. Just, you know, <laughs> just rinse out the inside of the pepper, drop them in vinegar, and everybody gets to go home early. Um, but if you're really curious, what I would do, and you d- uh, well, actually, for what you're doing, you, the peppers don't even have to be completely ripe. You'll get good flavor. But what I might want to do, some pepper seed is black, is naturally black. Seeds come in a whole bunch of colors. If you buy mixed lettuce seed, for instance, you'll see jet black, you'll see pure white, you'll see brown in there. So some peppers could have black seeds. If you want to have some fun, um, pepper seeds are really easy to save. Just scrape them onto a china dish, just like a a serving plate, something like that, and let them dry completely. Like, sit them on top of a toaster oven um, or or sit them out in the driest spot in your house, which with winter coming shouldn't be hard. And then when we get into January or February, 
take some of the black seeds and put those in a little pot with some potting soil. Take some of the white seeds, put those in a different pot with some potting soil. Um, water the planting medium really well and keep it moist and see what comes up. If it's healthy, starts in each. Those are just black seeds. And, you know, maybe you want to consider as you get more advanced as a gardener, saving your own seed. Yeah, I'm a novice right now, so that's something I will do. I mean, I have a 12-year-old daughter, so we could do a little experiment at home. Um, so I guess my concern is, so these aren't going to kill me, correct? Correct. Okay, good, good, good. Correct. They're not going to harm you whatsoever. If you think, matter of fact, if it was mold, for instance, when you took the seeds out, you would get a little bit of black on your fingers or you'd see a little bit of black on the inside wall of the pepper. Yeah, yeah, that's not happening. Yeah, I, oh. I, I think it's just a natural coloration. Okay, great. Well, I guess I'll keep my batch of hot sauce and make it this uh, next uh, couple days. And, um, you know, I appreciate you taking my call. Now, are all your plants dead? No, they're not dead. We actually brought them in right before the freeze. They're in manageable pots mm -hmm. right now. I mean, the the banana the, uh, banana peppers leaves are kind of droopy and losing a few. Right. Um, but we have a good heated, somewhat lit area in our living room that my wife has kind of put them there. So Okay, so just get a four-foot-long shop light mm -hmm. with either regular fluorescent tubes or the new LED tubes that look like fluorescent tubes. Put, put it over top of the peppers. Maybe you want to move them to a different room. They don't need the heavy heat as much as they need the light. And when you put the light on top of the peppers, say this sippy cup, this adult sippy cup right here is the very top of the pepper plant. Here's where the bulbs go. Not up here, right here, almost touching the leaves. And you do that, you'll have big full-size peppers to put out uh, next season. Oh, terrific, terrific. Okay, I'll do that. If, and you, go, is there... if you go on to the website, go to youbetyourgarden.org, uh, click on Garden Answers A to Z or wherever it says, uh, you know, your questions are answered at Gardens Alive. And then when you, you do that click through, uh, look up perennial peppers. It's one of my favorite things. I do it every year. Perennial peppers. Terrific. All right, we'll do that and we'll give this a shot. And, uh, I'm just glad that I'm able to keep this hot sauce. Um, oh, yeah, and, nothing to worry about there. And, you know, besides, the vinegar's good at uh, denaturing any of those issues. It's actually a, probably a good thing to mention to people, you don't want to do this in oil because any kind of oil will breed botulism or any kind of mold, whereby vinegar is perfectly safe to store. It's a disinfectant. It's an antibiotic. It's a shoe polish. It's a floor wax. It's everything. And when should I put these? Uh, so after the winter goes, what's about the ideal time to put them back outside? After the nights are no longer in the 50s. 50s, okay. No, okay, or after the nights are reliably in the 50s. No more 40s. No more 40s. Okay. okay. All right, terrific. Thank you so much. All right, Robert. Good luck. 833-727-9588. Kristen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. How's it going? I am just ducky today, Kristen. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. And where is Kristen good? Uh, <laughs> I'm in Washington, D.C. Really? What neighborhood? Uh, the Crestwood neighborhood. And what's that near? Uh, it's, um, it's near Rock Creek Park. Oh, oh, I love yeah. Rock Creek Park. I mean, exactly. not a lot of fun to drive in icy weather, but uh, <laughs> a beautiful place in the middle of the city. Absolutely. All right. What can we do for Kristen near Rock Creek Park? So um, a, a few weeks ago, I, I kind of stumbled upon um, a blog site where you had actually, were, or you were talking about um, some very simple beginner composting using uh, just, just like coffee grounds and leaves from your yard. Mm -hmm. And I've been very interested in, in uh, doing some composting, but um, I live in this apartment building with, <laughs> with just a balcony. Um, and so anything I would do would have to be pretty small scale. 
And uh, your your coffee grounds leaves concoction sounded perfect, <laughs> I think, for my situation. So uh, what I wanted to ask you about was um, what kind of proportions would you use uh, in in, the, in that um, when doing that composting, and what sort of uh, container might be good for uh, for that um, in a balcony setting? Ooh, how many floors up are you? We're three floors up. Okay, see. My problem right away that I'm thinking of is any composter is is going to leak at some point. There's going to be liquid involved. Okay. And, and that can make a mess on on concrete surfaces. And if there's enough of it, it can drip down on your neighbors. As if the pigeons weren't bad enough. <laughs> what do you have to use the compost on? Um, so we, we just do a little bit of container gardening on our, our balcony um, well, typically we're growing, uh, or we attempt to grow some strawberries each year and had a lot of success doing, um, like hot peppers. Oh, um, and then, it, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I also try and grow, uh, some, some flowers to attract like pollinators and things like that. Okay. Very good. Now, uh, do you have a worm bin yet? We do not know. Do you have room inside your house? It's just a uh, a, a two-foot-wide footprint, a uh, two-foot-square footprint to have a big towering worm bin indoors. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think we could handle that. See, if you have a worm bin, then it stays indoors. It's in a closet. It's under a sink. It's, you know, in some kind of an in-between room. And the ones I like are called the worm tower. They're stackable trays oh, uh, okay. that are perforated on the bottom. So they sit on top of uh, a seat, so to speak, that has a spigot in it. And okay. that, that's where any water collects. So the tray that goes on top of that, you pile it up with garbage. You put shredded newspaper over top of the garbage. You wet it down. Then you put the lid on. When okay. you've accumulated enough more kitchen garbage, this is all raw stuff. Your apple cores, your lettuce uh-huh. leaves, your broccoli stalks. No meat, no bones, no cooked food. But right, right. most of us generate a lot of, the, and especially coffee grounds. They're fabulous. Right. Worms love them. And when you got enough, you fill up the next tray, shredded newspaper on top of that. You pile it up on top of that. By the time you get to the fourth tray, and I generally recommend people use four trays. By the time uh-huh. you put the fourth tray on top, the bottom tray is completely finished. And it is the richest, most amazing compost-like material you'll ever find. And since you're not going to be needing a lot of it, you'll you'll simply put it up on top of the tray system, kind of turn sideways to air dry a little bit. There's no smell to these things. The only time there's any smell is when you pour the fresh garbage in. Okay. But then as soon as you get the newspaper on top, that smell stops. So you let that dry a little bit, and then you put it into maybe even the same containers you're going to use to grow your hot peppers. Okay. And by the time you get to the spring, if you eat a lot of vegetables and drink a lot of coffee, um, you could have enough compost to mix with potting soil in those containers uh, to do everything you want. Perfect. Now, I know the, a lot of leaves in Rock Creek Park, right? They're calling out to you? Absolutely, yeah. yeah yep. If you wanted to do something like that, there are sealed compost bins, uh, some of which are, are relatively small. Um, okay. They're like buckets you turn with your foot. They're on kind of a spindle thing. Okay. And if you could find a way to shred up the leaves from the park and mm-hmm. put some coffee grounds in with them, and then you give this thing a couple of foot turns every once in a while, you could make a little bit of your own compost that way. But I think in an apartment situation like yours, a worm bin is going to be, uh, is going to be the answer. The compost is ready much more quickly, and in your situation, you'll be able to make more compost. Actually, we call it worm castings. Um, okay. Than you would using outdoor compost. And if you can grow hot peppers out on that balcony, you can grow pretty much anything. So don't be afraid to get some bigger containers and grow a tomato or two in one. Obviously, lots of herbs out there. 
you know, go crazy with the peppers, especially the smaller sized ones. They ripen up real quick. You're in a, yeah. you're in a pretty good climate there. I think you want a warm tower. Warm tower. That's the key word there. Yeah. Okay. Warm tower. Fantastic. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate your advice. Oh, thank you very much, Kristen. You have a good day. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear on Thursday, February 21st and Friday the 22nd at the Connecticut Flower and Garden Show at the Connecticut Convention Center in West Hartford, Connecticut. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back with happy hollies and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm happy Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT. PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural, organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in the beautiful Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. I'm your beautiful host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week, wherein I will reveal what you need to know to make your hollies as berryful as possible, especially if you have the wonderful native holly known as winterberry. In the meantime, a couple more of your wintry phone calls at 833-727-9588. Leon, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you, Leon. How are you doing? I'm just ducky. Oh, (laughs) then don't ask me how I'm doing because we'll be a paradox. Uh, (laughs) And we got enough paradoxes in our life already. Uh, Where are you, Leon? So we're in Warminster. Just outside of Philadelphia. Yep. And what can we do for you, sir? We've been having some struggles trying to grow white sage. So white sage, as we know, is a desert plant Mm -hmm. and certainly not hardy in Pennsylvania. And so we've actually been trying to grow it indoors. Right. We built a greenhouse for it, and we've got grow lights over it. And we're on probably our fourth or fifth rendition of it we managed to keep killing them mm-hmm. um so we're trying to figure out what we are doing wrong we, we we did make a recent improvement to help move the air after seeing enough of your episodes that we realized one of the things you keep pointing out is the plants need air movement right so we just introduced that uh like about a week ago so we'll see how that goes but we're just trying to see if there's something else we're missing. Okay. So I keep hitting that microphone. Darn me. Um, this is the white sage that grows naturally out in the mountains, out west. Um, are you growing it for ritual use? Yes. So you want to use it to cleanse a house, cleanse rooms, um, spiritual journeys, that kind of thing? Correct. Okay. Because there are, quote, white sages that have a slightly different scientific name that are winter hardy in the Pennsylvania area. Um, The greenery itself will die back to the ground. It won't be evergreen like the Western sage, Uh, but it grows norm. It will grow back up from its roots. It's, it's almost as hardy as some of the mints. And um, it looks the same to me. It smells the same. Um, I have limited experience, although I have seen white sage in the wild out west when I was in Colorado. Um, But this is, uh, for instance, I've given this sage to my friends uh, because I can grow enormous amounts of it. And midsummer, I like to whack it out and let it regrow. And they've used it for the same purpose. It is, is, after all, a salvia. Um, and that is the basis of all sage. Now, it's interesting because you're, you're salvia. All salvias are sage. All sages are salvias. Uh, but I believe the name of, uh, of your sage is uh, apiary, um, something to do with bees, because it's also known as bee sage. 
Uh, there are precious little flowers for native bees out west, and white sage is a very important part of their diet. So what you would be trying to replicate would be um, not even so much heat, but um, because you know those mountains get cold at night. Um, so I'd be looking at a lot of light. What kind of lights are you using? So we picked up, um, it's a four foot bar of um, red and blue LEDs. It's a grow light we picked off off the internet. Oh, okay. And they're four foot long. They look like fluorescent tubes, but they're LEDs? Yeah. And do, do you, you, don't, you, have, you don't have any idea off the top of your head how many lumens it is, do you? No, I know that, so inside the enclosure we also have um, a few small incandescent lights to help generate a little bit of heat. Um, and the purple light that the red and blue lights creates, those incandescent bulbs look green to me because it messes with my eyes. Okay, so we're not just talking like the, the red and blue, the warm and cool of fluorescence. We're talking they actually look like Christmas lights. <laughs> right? Sort of, but condensed. Yeah. Um, you know, not a lot is known about these LED plant lights yet. There's a lot of experimentation. Um, I would say most of them, um, especially in the, in the type you're talking about, are specifically for growing marijuana, which I can finally talk about on the show because it's legal in half the country. <laughs> well, that's not what I'm growing. <laughs> um, so I don't like your lights. I'll put it, I'll okay. put it bluntly. I would like you to experiment. And it won't cost you much because this fixture can hold either type of light, right? The fixture, the lights are actually fixed in it. Oh, yeah, I don't like this at all. Although LEDs are going to last a long time. Go get the simplest shop light fixture you can get um, at a hardware store. And then I want you to go look at the, um, at the fluorescent tubes that are available for you. Modern fluorescents will be what are called T8s. They're uh, a smaller tube, so to speak, smaller circumference, but they give off a lot more light, and they use even less electricity than normal fluorescent lights, which, of course, use less electricity than incandescent lights. So if you go to the part of the store where all these things are stacked up, look on the sleeve. Somewhere on the sleeve will be a lumens rating, L-U-M-E-N-S, and that'll tell you exactly how many lumens which are units of light, um, these bulbs will give off. Always go for the lumens. I know you'll read all these articles about cool white and warm white and red and blue. I've been starting my own seeds for 30 years. Their store-bought quality starts when they're done, and all I've ever done is go by the lumen rating on the tubes. And every couple of years, I'll shop my tubes out so that the light is really intense. Um, your, your specialty bulbs may be holding you back. Because let's face it, that's not what they grew up under. So I would get uh, real fluorescent lights, highest lumens possible. And how close are your plants to the bulbs on your current light? I've got the bulbs about, let's say maybe two feet above the Oh, yeah, they're not getting any of that light. Um, either fluorescent or LED, the lumens are going to drop off precariously after about two inches. Okay. So that's why, uh, you know, the shop lights or especially lights that are sold for seed starting have chains. So you can lower them or raise them. But because both LEDs and fluorescent lights are cool, they can be touching the tops of the plants. And then you're getting all of your lumens. Um, you may, before you go out and buy anything new, I want you to have these things almost mating. I mean, I really want to see your little sage plants right underneath it. Are they spindly plants? Yeah, they're, they're spindly. That's, so the, the current version of the plants we have, we actually bought from a supplier that shipped it to us from Oregon. Right. Um, and these ones are doing a lot better than the ones we tried from seed. Mm -hmm. But they're still a bit spindly. They're yeah. not getting good and hard, hard woody. Yes. Like they should. Yes, they need more light. And so these plants are adapted to have a good temperature change. If you can get that room down to even the high 50s, although I would go for 50 or 55, uh, without doing anything crazy like putting an icebox in there and opening the door. Uh, but get that room as cool as you can overnight. 
get the lights closer to the plants, and I think you're good to go. And just, just be aware of that um, many Native Americans don't necessarily approve of non-Native Americans messing with their spirituality. So whatever you do with your sage, make sure you do it with great respect for the spirit of the plant. Oh, we do. That's part of why we feel so bad when we kill a plant. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of things kill plants, and if more light and a change of temperature doesn't favor better results, you know, it's, it's almost weird for me to say, but I have to say it. It's almost like maybe you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> now, the plants have feelings, man. <laughs> yeah, they do. All right. Well, good luck to you, Leon. All right, as promised, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling Getting More Berries on Winter Berry. Can in Sellersville, PA, home of the esteemed Sellersville Theater, tersely writes, could you please tell me the best time of year to prune my winterberry bushes? Period. In response, I asked Ken two questions. One, does your email charge you by the word? And two, why do you think they need to be pruned? Ken wisely ignored question number one and responds, they're on either side of my entrance gate and have gotten a bit too large. They also bloom beautifully in the spring, but fail to produce many berries. I thought pruning might put a bit more energy into the berry production. Ah, as my late father, a Philadelphia police homicide detective, once taught me, keep the suspect talking long enough and you'll figure out what's really going on. Great example here, as the actual question was hidden in the follow-up, although the subjects of pruning and fruiting are related. Now, winterberry, also known as coralberry and black alder, is a Native American holly, and come to think of it, a Native Canadian holly as well, as its range extends north into Newfoundland and Ontario, then down the coast west to Tennessee and south to Alabama. It is deciduous. It loses its leaves in the winter, but is still a full-fledged cold-weather ornamental as it often produces so many bright red berries that you can't see the branches underneath. Unless you are Ken, of course. Luckily, his solution is easy. He just needs another man around the house, specifically a male holly. Like almost all members of the Ilex genus, Winterberry requires a male pollinator somewhat nearby to produce lots of berries. But not just any male holly. Winterberry's consort must be a gent with good timing as well. That's because there are many different name varieties of winterberry, including afterglow, berry heavy, berry nice, red spike, sparkleberry, and winter red. Now, some of these hollies bloom early in the spring, while some don't flower heavily until mid-June. So to get barrels of berries, you need a male plant that blooms at approximately the same time as your females to be in the neighborhood. I say in the neighborhood because I have a blue holly that is covered in berries most years without my personally ever having secured a boyfriend for her. But the berries are proof that the right kind of guy is somewhere in the area. And bees are known to carry this pollen quite a distance. So the male pollinator plant doesn't have to be right next to the female plants in question. And that's a good thing. Since males don't produce berries, they're not very showy in the winter. And thus, they are good candidates to tuck into out-of-the-way places. Now, if you saved the plant tag or recognized one of those variety names, you should be able to find the perfect pollinator. The internet is filled with charts of perfect matches. But you can also observe when your girl's flowers open and then make an educated guess. If they flower in May, you want one of the early males like Jim Dandy. I love that name. If they wait until the middle of June, you want a late male like Southern Gentleman. And you have a good amount of wiggle room as both males and females flower for about three weeks and many of the males overlap a good number of the female varieties. But horticulturalists still stress that getting an exact match will produce the most berries, so much so that some males share a similar variety name of their spouse-to-be, like the, quote, blue prince that's recommended for my blue princess, 
who is clearly not blue because she has a guy someplace nearby. So pruning will not produce more berries, just the opposite. Pruning now would remove the buds that will flower in May and or June. And then it doesn't matter how many men come calling. So if you can discern the variety name, be ready to provide the perfect paramour this spring. Get one that's already a good size, leave it in its pot for now, and put it close by the ladies. One male can pollinate half a dozen female plants. Then you can plant it someplace else once the berries start to appear on your girls. At that point, you can do some gentle pruning of the plants if they're getting in the way. Otherwise, be patient until next winter when you can selectively prune entire branches for homemade reefs and swags during the holiday season. Do this during the first extended cold spell when the leaves are gone and the plants are dormant. But don't be too aggressive as the berries are a favorite late winter treat for robins. So if you wake up one morning and most of your berries are gone, you'll know that spring can't be far away. One other thought. Winterberry hollies like a wet soil but don't require it. All plants with waxy leaves can hold a lot of water. And some sources suggest that the plants tend to spread out, quote, into a thicket in really wet soil, but stay nice and upright when the soil is on the dry side. So if your plants are just a bit unkempt, try to cut back on any extra watering in that area. Well, that sure was some good info for every holly owner to know now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to prune my princess if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Boy, that's a lot of letters. Luckily, you'll find all of this contact information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to many of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our podcast. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work and stay current with the show every day at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick works the phones. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Capable Kelly Hurd and Jazzy Jake are our video editors. Our floor manager, John DeCensis, knows the names of all the sailors in the original version of King Kong. Harassed and harried Javier Diaz is our director. He might be our producer, and he certainly hoses down the studio every week after I leave. Regal Ron Ruscha is our director of underwriting. Our marketing madman is jaunty Jim McDonald. Chief Techno Officer Andy Cummins makes the equipment work. Zach the Tackwisneski is in the house. And the kingpin of public broadcasting. Our CEO, Tim Fallon, took my parking space this morning because, quote, he was late for a meeting. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'm just kidding. I don't have a parking space unless my name is reserved. And why does this guy reserved need 20 parking spaces anyway? Oh, you know, I could just change my name to Company Van so I can make it inside the studio in time to see you again next week. <laughs>